Good morning, John 16, 28 to 33. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, how now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered and each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. past few weeks, we've been going through a series on John as a church, and today we are at the end of chapter 16, the final piece of Jesus' farewell discourse, which really began in John chapter 13 and verse 31. And the title of our sermon is, Take Heart, I Have Overcome the World. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you and we do praise you for your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for his love for us. But most importantly, we thank you for his obedience to your love for us and that he left heaven, lived among us, suffered and died. We praise you that he rose from the dead and sits at your right hand where he intercedes for us. And one day he is coming back for us. Father, it's about Jesus. And so, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Guided by the Lord, the children of Israel found themselves encamped on the edge of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army was in hot pursuit. They had no way to run. Imagine their feelings of terror as they helplessly watched their angry captors swarm against them. Christian, you and I have a more deadly and a more determined enemy who is seeking to devour us and to utterly destroy us. So if you find yourself this morning feeling trapped against the onslaughts of life like the children of Israel felt, remember Red Sea Rules Number 1. This is one of my favorite little books. It takes a few minutes to read. And Red Sea Rule number one by Robert Morgan says, realize that the Lord means for you to be exactly where you are. Realize that the Lord means for you to be exactly where you are. And so Morgan continues that you should not be surprised when you find yourself trapped in painful, frightening, difficult or impossible situations. Life is hard for all humanity, 
but especially for the people of God. Many of you here this morning are carrying heavy burdens. You realize that you are not immune to sufferings. Maybe it's the burden of terminal illness. Maybe it's unexpected death of a loved one. Maybe it's, it's a marriage that's in trouble. Maybe it's a wayward child or financial loss. Or maybe it's difficulty at work. Job states in chapter 14 and verse 1, Man born of woman is a few days but full of trouble. So the all-knowing Jesus comes to us in our darkest hours and says to us, Cheer up. I have overcome the world. And we fight through the tears. We fight through the, the depression and the confusion. And we pay careful attention to this one. Does Jesus really understand our pain? Does he really care about our well-being? And after a while, we realize that Jesus is unlike anyone else that we've ever met. So we stop and we listen to him. After all, he suffered unimaginable tribulation and died in our place. So what I want us to see in John chapter 16 from the passage that was read, I want us to see what actually motivated Jesus to die for us in the way he did. And what is the message that rescues us from the world and the means by which we are rescued. And then finally, the model that Jesus provides for us so that we could be victorious. I want to... Read verse 27. It may be, it, it's not in your, in your program, but it's in a blue Bible, or you may have your Bibles. And I'll turn to verse 25, in, beginning in this paragraph. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. What motivated Jesus is that he so wanted to reveal how much the Father loves you and me and loves the world, a world that is hostile to him, a world that despises him. Jesus declares in John chapter 3 and 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We tend to think of the father as this angry dad. All the children know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But the father's love for us is so deep, it is so immeasurable. and He's deeply pleased when anyone from the world Hears the gospel, repents of their sins, and receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus was not only motivated by a desire to reveal the Father's love, but Jesus was highly motivated to reconcile us to his loving Father. We who were once not a people are now the people of God. And now we have access to the very God Almighty in Christ Jesus. So Christ was motivated... But the message 
that he brought rescues us. And that is found in verse 28 of this text. He says, I came from the Father. That means he's revealing his eternal and divine essence. Jesus is not a created being. John writes in chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And that's Jesus, my friends. He is not a created being. He is. As a matter of fact, he told his audience in John chapter 8, before Abraham was... I am. He came from the Father and he says, I have come into the world. Emphasizing his incarnation. And I am leaving the world, which explains his suffering, death, and burial. He came to this world. He came to his own. And and he's leaving this world on his terms. He says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. And I will raise it up. On the last day. And the fourth element of this message which rescues us, he says, I am going to the Father. And it's pointing to his resurrection and his ascension. As I said, I'm a strange, I'm a, I'm a peaceful pastor, but I like westerns and I like, I like action movies. And I remember Billy Jack. You remember Billy Jack? Billy Jack would say, I'll take this right foot and kick you on this side of your face. And there's nothing you could do with it. That's what Jesus says. Jesus told Satan and death and all the demons that I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the dead. As a matter of fact, on the third day. And there is nothing you could do about it. And that is the message which saves us. Which rescues us from the world. But the disciples in verse 29 and 30 They heard this for three years and they suddenly believed and they professed faith. Look, listen to what they say. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They also claim to understand Jesus' teaching. Some hold that their claim was probably presumptuous. Why? Because within a few hours, they will all desert Jesus. Warren Wearsby states that it is possible to have faith, understanding, and assurance, and still fail the Lord. He adds that unless we practice that faith, apply that understanding, and rest on that assurance, we will fail when the time of testing comes. Yet, Jesus went to the cross for them. He died for broken people, people like the disciples, people like you and me. And in verse 31 and 32, this faith, this this belief in propositional truth expressed by the disciples was anemic and is still anemic in the face of two diabolical dangers. One, Jesus says that the people of God are scattered and you will leave me alone. Number two, the two dangers that Christians face is that we will be divided, we will be scattered, and that we will forsake Jesus. We are scattered by persecution from without, disagreements, resentment, and suspicion. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for the unity of the church. He wants the church to be one. Why? Because a divided church is impotent against the wiles and the tricks of the evil one. 
This gospel message also reveals our true nature, our brokenness. My friends, there's really no one good. There's no one who seeks after God. James White says that and unless a person confesses that the Lord is right to punish sin and that he or she is a guilty sinner, completely deserving of eternal death, there is no true faith, no true repentance, no true salvation. And so Jesus provides for us his motive for dying in the way he did. And he gives us the message of the gospel, which, which is God's power unto salvation to those who believe. But most importantly, Jesus provides the means by which we are rescued from this world. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In me. Those two words, that phrase, is found 28 times in John. That's key to John. In chapter 15, and as he speaks about abiding in the vine, seven times he uses this phrase, in me. And if you're a numerologist, as a matter of fact, there are seven miracles and seven in me's in John chapter 15. And then there are seven phrases in John chapter 17. He says to the Father, those whom you have given me. My brothers and sisters, you and I are not rescued from sin by faith in propositional truth. We are rescued from the dominion of sin through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, over 164 times. Jesus comes to us because we will never in our own self, in our own sin, we will never wake up and go to him. He says in John 6 and 44, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so the means is in Christ alone, by faith, alone, in him alone. And when he comes, he redeems us, this crucified one. He would die for the disciples. He would die for us. And in dying for us, we notice that he converts sin to righteousness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the, just the way how the high priest puts his hand on the sacrifice in the Old Testament, all of the sins of the world, all of the sorrows of the world were placed on Jesus Christ, and he went to a cross, and he died in our place. And in dying for us, he made sinners like us into the righteousness of God, God's special possession. He turns sin to righteousness, and he turns sorrow to joy. He says, the world will be joyful, and when you see me again, you will have great joy, even though you sorrow. And he will turn tribulation to peace. And the word peace here, shalom, it speaks of completeness. It speaks of wholeness. Leon Morris, a theologian, describes a painting which depicts a storm beating against a rocky shoreline with waves crashing and foam flying high. A ship has been driven up against the rock and is falling apart, bodies falling into the deep. But in the foreground, we see a mighty rock with a crack. And in the crack is a dove nesting securely, the storm unable to reach within. 
Mara states that believers are not immune to the storms of life. They must bear them. But they are secure. The rock of ages is their sure refuge. And there they have peace. So this Jesus who turns sin to righteousness, sorrow to joy, and tribulations to peace, he takes defeat and makes it victory. John says in 1 John 5 and 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory which overcomes the world, our faith. Not our faith that we manufacture. The faith that Paul describes in in Ephesians 2, it is a gift from God. When you and I surrender to Christ and trust him, His indwelling spirit enables us to become more than conquerors. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. Through him who loved us. And it's only in him. It's only in Christ. And so he provides not only the motivation and the means and the message, but he provides the model for us. I don't know how many of you have older siblings, but I have a a brother who's about a year older than I am. And when I was about six or seven years old, one of the things we enjoyed doing on a, in a little island, 7 by 21, is on a Sunday afternoon in the summertime, we would go not to the beach, but on the edge of the docks, where the water must have been at least 30 feet deep. And I was only seven. I could swim from here to there. But he would jump in the water, and I would be terrified. But because he did it, and he's my brother, if he could do it, I could do it too. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. I'm the head. You're the body. I've lived in your shoes. I died for you. I rose from the dead. I've ascended to the Father. And I live forevermore. And guess what? I'm the firstborn of many brothers. You can do it too. And so the solution all the trials we face, Jesus is saying, abide in me. Just be with me. Abide in me. Practice that faith. Apply that understanding and rest on that assurance. Otherwise, just like the disciples, you will fail in times of testing. Warren Wesby states that faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. And so as I bring this message to a close, I want to you know, I like these small books, this, this one, and then this, this one I got from Pete's office. I do read big books. <laughs> one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books is, is The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. It's thick. I love it. I read Burkhoff, and I read all of those other stuff, but I love little books like this. You can just read it. Randy Alcorn states that on the cross, Jesus suffered the worst pain in history. Yet that event will forever remain at the center of our worship and wonder. If God used the most terrible event in history for eternal good, might he not use less terrible events in our lives for eternal good? My brothers and sisters, can we we talk? I know that tested faith can sometimes make us bitter and not better. I've been there. There was a time when I really thought God was against me. I thought he was my enemy. But we all notice, if we live long enough, that as we stop and listen, we will see Jesus' strength perfecting us in our weaknesses. We will also notice that his faith is greater than our doubts and that his grace 
is greater than our sin. Paul Scherer writes, I know the things that happens, the loss and loneliness and the pain. But there's a mark on it now. As if someone who knew that way himself, because he had traveled it, had gone on before and left his sign. And all of it began to make a little sense at last. Gathered up laughter and tears into the life of God with his arms around it. The Holy Spirit is here. He's the other helper. He's in you. And he's taken you and me on a journey with one purpose in mind. To make us all to look like Jesus on this earth in the very place of tribulation. Where our arch enemy is constantly sneaking to enslave us. I urge you to call to mind Red Sea rule number one. Realize that the Lord means for you to be exactly where you are. I've read about how silversmiths made silver, how they would dig in the ground and take the ore out of the earth and make silver out of ore. And the way they did it in ancient times is they would put the ore in these, these big urns and light the fire. They would put ore in the urn and they would, they would sit. You just watch the pot, so to speak. And you'd walk up to the silversmith and ask him, what are you doing? I'm making silver. And you would ask him, well, how do you know when it would be ready? And he would say to you, oh, simple. I wait until the ore is heated enough and becomes molten. And then I will see my reflection." In the silver. Jesus says, abide in me. And you're squirming. The fire is hot. And you don't think you could make it. And he's sitting there. And he's watching you. And he will do nothing until his face is seen in you. May the Lord enable you. To find comfort in the knowledge that the one who has died for you lives for you and is praying for you. And he says to you through me, through the songs, through the word, cheer up. I've overcome the world. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. We thank you that one day he is coming back for us. But he promised to give us another helper. He says it is to our advantage that the Holy Spirit comes and he's here with us. He's in us. Teach us to abide that we may discover the victorious life in the midst of the pains and trials we face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.